0: This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. From our Providence, Rhode Island studios, I sit down with Rhode Island legend Arlene Violet. Arlene Violet is a former nun, the former attorney general of Rhode Island, a former talk radio host, and currently a columnist pro bono attorney, and media personality in Rhode Island. She was the first female in the United States to be elected an attorney general and has built a legal career defending victims' rights, ethics, and environmental causes. Our conversation touched on Ms. Violet's own life's journey, the state of global affairs, Rhode Island politics, small and large media outlets, and pursuing social justice. Okay, right before we get to my interview with Arlene Violet, I just want to let you know that the first Bartholomew Town print article has hit newsstands via Motif Magazine. Excited about this new partnership with Motif Magazine? And you can go to motifri.com, or if you're inside the southern New England listening area, you can find the physical magazine on most newsstands. Uh, this first article is a feature on Dr. Louis Daniel Munoz, independent gubernatorial candidate here in Rhode Island, and uh, following him around as he navigates the signature phase, which is over and done with at this point. But, man, it was uh, it's quite an adventure being out there with some of those independent and unendorsed candidates as they collected signatures, uh, a whole lot of interfacing. And it's a really interesting experience and I eh, tried to convey Dr. Munoz's experience the best I could in this article. So I'll link to it via my Twitter. It's at Bill Bartholomew. All right, let's get right to it. Rhode Island legend Arlene Violet. All right, so we are here at the Bartholomew Town Loft in Providence, Rhode Island, with the great Rhode Island luminary, Arlene Violet. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Good to see you.
1: Real pleasure. Thanks so much for coming out.
0: (laughs) My pleasure.
1: Um, For those outside of the listening area or or whoever may not be familiar with your background, if you give us a little summary of. Of your life's journey.
0: Okay. Well, I was a nun for 23 years, and during that time, uh, I taught a bit, but I also went to law school and became a public interest lawyer, representing all the little guys of this world. In the 80s, I ran for attorney general with the permission of my order, because it was an activist kind of order. And the idea behind it was to respond to the unmet need. And in Rhode Island, we had a tremendous political corruption problem, mob problem. The Colombian drug cartel had moved up from Miami to Central Falls, Rhode Island. Uh, and, of course, victims had no rights. And at the time, I was living in all the poor neighborhoods, which means they're high-victim neighborhoods. And I would see people taking buses to go to court four or five times uh, during the course of uh, their so-called trial where they had to be a witness. And then they'd show up one day and were told, oh, that case has been resolved without you. So further... Uh, you know, diminishing them as human beings that they didn't even have a control (laughs) over their fate as a victim. So for all those reasons, I ran for attorney general. Uh, My order supported me. I eventually won. uh, But uh, the bishop by that time under church law had the right to say yes or no. And he told me I would have to leave if I wanted to be the attorney general. So from my perspective, it was a commitment to the reality of the commitment of being a Sister of Mercy, Respond to that unmet need, or I could have walked away from it and kept the title without the substance of being that nun.
1: Right, and which, which year was that? Which election Mid, was that? Well,
0: I ran in '82 right. and lost in '84. I won,
1: and that was under. So that was the Garagi years. Uh, where are we at? I'm just trying. Uh, to
0: well, Ed Dupreet was DePreet, the governor right. when I okay, I'd sure, elected, yep. yes, okay, yes.
1: And you served two terms. One. One term. Yes. Then, at which point did you become a talk radio personality?
0: Uh, Shortly after that, I started, I I had a house in West Warwick uh, where I lived, and there was a radio station on the way by, and the man I loved, who ran that station, asked me if I would do drive time. So on my way home, I started five to six, and then eventually Buddy Cianci, who was on WHJJ at the time, decided to return to politics. So back in 1990, I got that job and commenced doing that uh, through all of 19, uh, 1916. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what I feel like, 1916, <laughs> but to uh, 26. 2006, yeah.
1: 2006, what yeah. a run.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was, I loved it. Uh, all the people that would go to RISD, for example, if they were having a, a special artist come or a speaker at Brown, they'll stop by. So I get to interview a lot of people nationally, internationally, and, of course, talking about local issues was very important to me.
1: Plus the relationship you had with your listeners. I'm sure that some listeners are still in touch with you today. Uh, Yeah,
0: it was really nice because I I think it's important to air all sides of an issue. Uh, uh, Sometimes I wouldn't even say what my opinion was until the very end of the talk show because people should really respect and listen, particularly to people who have opposite points of view. (laughs) But that's a rarity these days. People now tend to only listen to the news stations that – already support the position that they're in.
1: Right, the narrow casting. Yeah. Yeah. We've really tried to have candidates or people from all different perspectives on this program is something that's important to me, for sure. And I'm surprised by how much a lot of people will say from either side of the spectrum, oh, I can't believe you had Person X on. He's a... you know, he's yeah. he's totally out of bounds in what he says. Well, you know? that's
0: exactly what you ought to hear, because how can you live in this society without knowing the full uh, panoply of people's thoughts on issues?
1: Absolutely. Do you, so, do you miss talk radio now? Is something uh, you do again? I don't really,
0: because fortunately, I get to write a weekly column for two of the little local newspaper groups. Right, one it's of called you, Politics, the Valley
1: so, Breeze, one of uh, an outstanding newspaper. It really you know. is,
0: right? In East Bay, Rhode Island, yep. uh, it has papers in six or seven jurisdictions in Rhode Island as well, and they carry my column as well. So, at least I get to vent <laughs> by right. writing that column.
1: And that column's run for how long now?
0: Uh, oh boy, at least a decade, yeah, if not longer.
1: It's a great calm. What's it like working in in these sort of, um, you know. You can't really say small town, but regional, I guess, with the hyper-regional newspapers, yeah. particularly with the with the Valley Breeze, a paper I'm fascinated by in terms oh, yeah. of its content and, and how well it covers that region.
0: Tom Ward's a great publisher. As you know, those are the papers that are being successful. Right. They're expanding while, regrettably, the Providence Journal is contracting. Providence is a great work product, too, though. Sure, you know I mean, they Absolutely. do fabulous stories. I love newspapers, so it breaks my heart when I see reports. Is having to be laid off or leaving or from bought the paper. out as
1: the new the yeah. recent stories are right.
0: Yeah, but I but I I think certainly we're a newspaper town because there's so much to be reporting all the time. You know, I was writing this morning my column for uh, next week because I have to have it in a week ahead of time, and it's sort of like a kudos and a brickbats. Kind of column. So on the one hand, I'm praising uh, General Treasurer Magaziner for sponsoring legislation that would make uh, Catholic religious groups open up the truth about their pension plans, because the Diocese of Providence did not do that, and now the nurses that were at St. Joseph's and Fatima Hospital and the orderlies and the bakers, you know, their pensions are all in jeopardy. Right. So that's a good thing that he's doing. But on the other hand, we have a politician like Greg Achado running to get his own. Senate seat. He's been convicted of several crimes. Uh, he seems to get things expunged that uh, shouldn't be expunged. Uh, and so I was just doing the contrast that any day you wake up in Rhode Island, there's a good thing happening, and a certainly not so good thing happening.
1: Right. As uh, Buddy Cianci said, full contact sport up here. Uh, yes, you know. it is. Absolutely. Of
0: course, people like him make it a full contact sport. No but. question about it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get right into
1: uh-huh. that pension issue. That's something that you've yeah. been vocal about. I've seen, heard, and read you on this issue, and it's something you obviously are passionate about. Yeah. I personally can't understand how anybody who, who observes the facts here can have any opinion that differs from yours, which is that this is an outrage. But what's it like for you being sort of a, a, a you know, a spokesperson through the media, if you will. Well,
0: you know, here, you and I are here at your loft, right? Right. And it's a stone's throw away, St. Joseph's Hospital. I remember when I was a young nun, picketing with those nurses who were trying to start a union back then. And, of course, I stood out because I was the only one of the black habit among all the (laughs) The white uniforms that were picketing around the building. So for me, it's something that's come full circle. But it's also very discouraging because I was a nun for 23 years, and it's so discouraging to me to see how unjust... Uh, the Catholic Church Is in this situation I mean for example these nurses worked For far less money as part Of seeing it as their vocation To even earn less in a Catholic hospital they were promised This pension Uh, when Bishop Tobin got here 10 years ago He uh, gradually stopped Giving the necessary Contributions in that pension Meanwhile mailings would go out Saying everything was copacetic with that Pension until last August August the diocese had the pension filed into receivership and saying everybody should be cut 40% right away. Now we've managed I represent pro bono all the older people ages 75 to 99 years of age who get an average pension of $750 a month, no cost of living increases. And there's no way that you can cut them 40%. And Bill, the other part of it is, you know, the nurses, they were making a dollar an hour. So their social security check is de minimis as well. So here are people who've worked 40 years of their lives, 45 years, and they're really faced with potentially going on welfare at the end of their lives, which is such an insult to them. So it's very discouraging to me that the diocese put them in this situation. And of course, I'll fight tooth and mane uh, to try to avoid this catastrophe from happening uh, to these people.
1: What's a what's a way out at this point for the diocese?
0: Well, uh, it certainly has property, and one of the counts which is a federal lawsuit and a state court uh, suit. And much to the credit of Max Wistow, who's a lead lawyer uh, in this litigation, uh, he's alleged fraudulent conveyance, which means that he gave those he sold those hospitals off to an entities knowing that the pensions would be hurt. And he did it anyway. And also that they colluded together with the people buying uh, these hospitals not to uh, fund the pensions with some of the proceeds from that. So if we prove fraudulent conveyance, the nurses will end up and my clients, the bakers and uh, the candlestick makers, they'll end up owning those hospitals, which we can then sell to put the money back into the pension. So that's the strongest argument that we have to totally recoup.
1: Well, wow. well, I I would like personally to continue to keep tabs on that. And hopefully, sure. we can highlight it more on on this podcast. It's rare that I like to come out and take a position on an issue, but this yeah. is absolutely unjust. Yeah. I know There's it's no awful question. too.
0: Is a pension sh- you know, that may be happening now to the teachers that are in the Catholic school system, and all the janitors and all the people who work for the diocese. That hasn't been officially announced, but it'll be a darn shame if they take a hit like this as well. There's no reason for it. You know, it's an issue of priorities, right? uh, and uh, the priorities of this bishop have been totally off base as far as I'm concerned.
1: Let's turn to uh, Rhode Island politics, if we may, something that (laughs) (laughs) – yeah. (laughs) The gubernatorial race in particular is – it's underway. It feels like, you know, we're past the signature phase now. Nomination papers are turned in. It looks like we know who's actually going to be running – As far as, let's start with the fringe candidates. Is there anyone, I'll go ahead and call Joe Trillo a fringe candidate, but if you look at him or Dr. Munoz, is there anyone who, even Matt Brown potentially could be considered a fringe candidate, anyone who can, can mount a challenge to just be in that, front-runner position that right now Mayor Fung and Governor Raimondo are in. Well,
0: I love that you said, you know, it's just beginning, because for me, it seems like it's been going on forever already. (laughs) It's only July, but I digress. Uh, Anything can happen in a race. Uh, I know certainly the present governor is well-funded. She has a story to tell about uh, accomplishments, but, you know, there's also some negative things, particularly the UHIP. Uh, As you know, people who are uh, lower income tend to be Democrats, but yet they're the people that are being hurt by the UHIP situation. So whether they'll even show up to vote is a big question mark in my mind. Uh, I also feel that, uh, uh, you know, anybody can win this race. I, I, I really feel that way. What the progressives do relative to supporting Matt Brown, I think, is an open question. You mentioned Dr. Munoz a moment ago. And obviously he doesn't have the finances, in my view at least, to uh, mount a campaign that is a winning campaign. But he's one of the most creative thinkers in this race, for heaven's sakes, you know. Uh, and he's a fine candidate, except without money, uh, which is the milk, I guess, of, of politics. He's not going to be able to get his message acro- messages across.
1: Right. What about the lieutenant... Gubernatorial race. This Same photo thing. I woke up to on Sunday morning. I don't know if you saw the tweet from Ian Donis of Lieutenant Governor McKee alongside Michael Earnhardt at a barbecue in on the east side of Providence. The photo evidently came from someone indirectly related to the Regenberg camp, trying to paint the picture that McKee is a you know essentially a closet conservative. That race, to me, actually has the most juice right now and is the most
0: Bill, volatile. I think you're right. I think that is an extremely volatile race. As you know, the progressives, part of the Democrat uh, Party, they think that they're in this to win back the heart and soul of what the Democratic Party is supposed to be. And just like the Sanders voters were very highly motivated, I think the progressives would crawl out of bed. And, uh, and a snowstorm <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, hooked up to IVs to right. go vote. You know, yeah. that's how motivated they are. And I think that makes that an extremely close race.
1: And do you think that'll influence in a Democratic primary the gubernatorial race or potentially the Senate race, with Patricia Fonts now challenging Senator Whitehouse from the left?
0: Yes. Uh, I, again, he has a, such an extraordinary amount of money. Uh, I'm not sure you can overcome that advantage. Uh, but Regenberg certainly has enough money himself to give Dan McGee a run for the money, literally, and uh, I think that's the race. Whether it has uh, repercussions is an excellent question that you ask because, as you know, it's who shows up and votes. Right, right, And uh, to the degree that uh, people who tend to be Democrat are being harmed by the UHIP situation. That's not a motivation for them to show up. But Absolutely. the progressives, they're going to show up, I think, for uh, uh, Mr. Regenberg.
1: In terms of just in general, the Rhode Island Republican Party, where it's at today, it seems to be trying to find itself. We had Judge Flanders on here, and he was very vocal in saying that he is uh, not Trumpian, you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. really trying to position himself somewhere closer to a moderate, so to speak. Um, At the same time, you hear comments coming from other candidates for for governor that uh, seem quite Trumpian. Um, Where's the Republican Party living? First of all,
0: the local Republican Party, I think, is a completely different beast than the National Party, and it still has its roots, I think, in being uh, the opposition party, yeah, in many ways. I mean, when you think about it, I ran as a Republican yep. and won as a Republican Attorney General. Back in those days, we had the of Sappinsleys, you know, the, the first Chafy. head, right? Yep. Uh, Claudine Schneider, first uh, Congresswoman, Suzanne Farmer, Barbara Leonard. It was the Republican Party that supported women uh, to run as candidates, whereas the Democrats did not, in fact, do that. So, in many ways, the Republicans were more Democratic, in a way, uh, than certainly the Democrats uh, were. So uh, I think there is uh, an identity crisis in a way uh, in the Republican Party today because far too many Republicans, I think, uh, feel that they have to embrace uh, Donald Trump. Uh, I'm glad that Flanders does not, because I think it would be a death wish. Uh, And I think the problem for Flanders in his race is people that think he's a good candidate, and he is a moderate. But you're going to have to say to yourself, do I want to send somebody there to keep a, a Republican majority? And, you know, I I have always voted uh, both Republican and Democrat through my entire life. But, I mean, it's even a question for me what I'm going to do because I'm so discouraged, frankly, at uh, Mr. Trump's anti-immigrant stances uh, and the fact that he has a whole following of people who, in my view, are adopting his anti-American stances. Uh, Rhode Island is very interesting. This is perhaps the most Catholic state. We're taught every Sunday, you know, from the pulpit, uh, respect other human beings. We are all equal. And yet we see the progression of languages that is used by Donald Trump. They're murders and rapists. You know, those mothers with the little children and then, you know, uh, they're lawbreakers. Then they become animals. And then he called them vermin. And when you hear that kind of language, that's exactly what the fascists did to the Jews. You know, that Jew's going to take your job. I mean, that's the same anti-rhetoric against immigrants today. The Armenian Holocaust occurred using exactly that demonization, make people look like they're less than human. And it really bothers me to no end that this is what is happening in this country today. We're becoming more anti-American than ever.
1: Yeah, it's unbelievable, actually. I was actually had a conversation with my mom this morning. She just moved from Rhode Island to New Hampshire. And just talking about how everywhere you go within New England, you, know, you never know which pocket is going to be oh. exposed to have a large percentage of people who have a- a- adopted those views, including yes. in Rhode Island. There's no question about it.
0: His population, uh, Mr. Trump's popul- popularity went up. Right. following his comments. Uh, and uh, it, it really is discouraging to me. I, I Maybe it's because I'm getting old, and maybe when you get older, you get to worry about what's happening, it's what's going to happen to the country that you love. But we don't speak with each other anymore. We don't interact, and we name-call. You know? Once you hear name-calling... Discussions all over. And regrettably, uh, Donald Trump, through his name calling, I think has really uh, created a terrible, terrible direction for this country. You know, address the issue. Uh, I right. Certainly we need immigration reform, but address it. Don't call people vermin because you don't know what you're doing.
1: Right. Yeah. And I hope Rhode Islanders can embrace the idea of being truly independent and During this election, have conversations between a Matt Brown, uh, Gina Raimondo, a Dr. Munoz, a Giovanni Feroci, an Alan Fung. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, go ahead and throw Bill Gilbert's voice into that if you want to, whatever it may be, and actually have a mature conversation. It seems like it's slipped quite a bit in recent days, especially with a Carpionato group fiasco Mm -hmm. uh, and and some other things, Trillo's boat. The SS Trillo Crashing It's gotten a little (laughs) Off topic But my hope is that In light of the fact That things have gotten So dark At the federal level Maybe we could step up in Rhode Island and actually have an election based on fact and discussion rather than, yeah. n- than yeah. name-calling.
0: You know, earlier in our conversation, we talked about the fact that anything that can happen in a campaign and change the result. I mean, we, didn't we see that with Clay Pell when he couldn't find the car? Right. And then the hockey stick, Bobby Orr's ho- hockey stick was broken. And then uh, I, I never understood why his campaign didn't come out right away. Because, you know, when you get paid off for a stolen car, it then belongs to the insurance company. And people yeah. were killing Clay Clay Pell, that his car was still in storage. Look at all the money he's wasting on storage. Well, that was the insurance company keeping it there. Right. They had already paid him off. He was long gone out of the picture. But the campaign never explains that, and it brings down a candidate. Absolutely. And anything like that, You know, whether it's a boat or something else, anything can derail although
1: uh, there was there was quite a bit of argument on a lively experiment this past week that Trillo's popularity actually went up because of the boat crashing his that- name recognition and his brand yeah. kind of translates to some kind of Silliness, so that works for him. You know? Well
0: it's and I think certainly with some people his connection to Donald Trump works for him.
1: Absolutely. There's no question about it. I was at P V D Fest and you know, there were some politicians around. I think even Mayor Lorza went by in a bicycle yeah. or something like that. But nothing compared to the moment that Joe Trillo's bus pulled into the Kennedy Plaza yeah, there yeah. and just there there it was. It was like Trump landing his airplane in mm-hmm. these remote
0: towns <laughs> in Oklahoma. There's yes. the
1: spectre of this guy. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. And he's a good debater. Quite a good debater, absolutely. Um, as far as right now, the way media is shaped, you're on the the, the board of directors for the Hummel Report.
0: I'm chair, chair, yes.
1: chair of the board. And uh, where are we heading? As we see newspapers shrinking, television revenues shrinking, radio person, radio stations closing, personalities being paid less and less, and or more sponsor and based salaries. It's, in some ways, it feels like the industry is collapsing, yet at the same time, we have the Hummel Report and we have these independent media outlets that are doing a great job. You even have someone like a Steve Alquist out there who's putting together daily great yeah. work. So where is it heading and, and well, how does it survive?
0: I'm very concerned, obviously, about the direction for a couple of reasons. First, uh, calling the media the enemy of the people is a really terrible yeah. uh, thing. Uh, I mean, I think certainly the president is setting up his excuse uh, yeah. relative to what may or may not come out with Russiagate. Uh, so that's, that's one thing. Uh, and the media itself has sacrificed itself. Uh, in this regard that, you know, I remember, you know, Joe Friday, cop, you know, in the old days, just the facts, ma'am, right, just the Joe facts. Right, Joe Friday on uh, Joe PBS Friday. there, right? Uh, right, <laughs> dry, you know, and, and, and media is supposed to do that. You, you know, what are yep. the facts? Unless you're writing an opinion piece. My my column's an opinion piece. Yep. I put it out there and, you know, people can at least respond back. But when you pass news off like it's the ultimate fact, I mean, and it's really your opinion, it really destroys the integrity of the fact finding process. So I'm very worried too. The media is taking a rap and should take a rap for its personalization and opinionating of facts. And that's not a good direction we're going in.
1: Right. How do we get out of that? What what's the what's the move because advertising was is the traditional way of funding media is it looking towards grants and things, organizations, nonprofits, to actually support the media the way, like, artists
0: (laughs) survive now? Uh, Well, that's going to be part of the solution, Bill. I think you're right about that. But we need giants in the industry to come forward and reiterate what a news media is supposed to be. And, you know, I, I don't think there should be, like, an MSNBC that's liberal and then, you know, Fox on the other side. I don't like that. They both ought to be striving for the integrity of the story. Right, so I'm not a fan of opposition stations because they're passing opinions off as fact.
1: With respect to, I guess, just the, the tone of or the feel, we've got about 300. I, Nellie Gr- Secretary of State Nellie Gorbia told me about 300,000 people vote of mm-hmm. 700,000 registered voters. Mm-hmm. What do you think it would take to motivate more people to vote? Or maybe not registered voters, 700,000, 700,000 potential voters that could register. What does it take to increase voter interest Uh, in Rhode Island? Well,
0: I sure wish, theoretically, it would be done because it's the patriotic thing to do. However, that's a a dream uh, that, in fact, I have. The simple fact is people do not go out to vote unless it's in their self-interest. So if it's something that they have that they think is going to be uh, relegated to an endangered species list, that's the thing that gets them out to vote. I really don't see that changing.
1: Right. Yeah, that's frustrating. But it is frustrating. It's, it's, definitely, <laughs> yes, yes. it's definitely true. All right. Last question. Uh, we're about to hit primary season full swing here, kind of looping back to this the discussion of Rhode Island politics. Do you think we should move the primary to an earlier time in the year?
0: Yeah, to, I really to... I, I certainly do. Uh, yeah. You really don't have any time to formulate uh, cogent issues and discussions because they're just really virtually back to back six or seven weeks. Uh, differentiation, so I think it's wrong that it's September, November definitely move it back Move it all spring. the way to
1: June. It, sp- I would.
0: I would move it to late spring. Absolutely.
1: Maybe. How would you persuade the the, the General Assembly to make that happen?
0: I, I unsuccessfully because uh, it's so dominated by Democrats, yeah. right? <laughs> Where it's working for them the way it is, so they're never going to change something that gives them the upper hand.
1: Right. Yeah. Hummel actually, you know, jokingly said maybe they'd actually get something done in March or April if uh, ah, you know, yeah, which yeah. is true. Way think of it, you know, yes. for sure. It's it's kind of shocking the the calendar the way it works yeah. out here. No it's, question. about it
0: I'm with you I'm with Jim on that
1: (laughs) any final words for our Uh, audience here
0: well just uh, I'm so happy that they're listening to you you have uh, really good guests on and uh, I'm uh, going to be a devotee myself so congratulations (laughs) to you and continue good success
1: thank you so much it means a lot to have you on I really
0: appreciate it my pleasure again
1: hey thanks for listening remember you can subscribe rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening platform you may find us at Bartholomewtown.com or RIPodcast.com. And be on the lookout for Bartholomewtown print articles in Motif Magazine. Until next time, thanks for visiting Bartholomewtown. We'll talk soon.